You are listening to Episode 16 of Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 31, Diurnia System, 2358, August 11th. Once I knew what I was looking for, locating the network of intercom connections was relatively straightforward. There were the typical redundancies built into any ship's system, but over and above that it was a pretty clean machine. The code was industrial strength and looked like production grade. There were signatures and sign-offs noted in the appropriate places on the system maintenance logs. From a technology standpoint, what I was looking at was called a microphone, but technically it was a digital audio transducer. It grabbed the sound waves from the air using a standard mechanical diaphragm, but instead of turning those vibrations into variations in electrical energy like a classic microphone, it used a small sensor in the intercom unit to measure and encode those variations digitally. They were then routed to several data hubs around the ship. Those hubs existed in key places like nerve ganglia around the body. Each had a redundant connection path and could be reached in at least two ways. Even the main data paths between the fore and aft nacelles had a parallel redundancy built into the keel of the cargo container. When the can was locked in, it closed the loop on a secondary data path which would permit data to flow from bow to stern, even if the main data backbone were cut. Each intercom had a button for the bridge, and a button for engineering central. In case of emergency, which is really all the devices are intended for, press the button, and a buzzer on the bridge or the engineering would call assistance. The bridge unit and the engineering units were more complicated and had the ability to buzz any intercom on the ship using a number pad. The liability there was that you needed to know the number. Tablets provided much faster and reliable communications from individual to individual, but these intercoms were considered required safety equipment by the CPJCT, and so they were on every ship. I turned my head from the console and looked at the bridge intercom in the aft bulkhead. I wondered if anybody else was listening. Turning back to the system's display, I began teasing out the codes that linked the speakers with the system. These were supposed to be very simple systems and reliable even during significant shipboard failures. Press to talk, release to listen, digital routing independent of other data sensor streams. I'd actually been in a situation where they had failed, but only once. Of course, almost everything else failed as well, and we almost died, but almost doesn't count. Just before the change of watch, I found it. The sound system was set up to spool into a data array. Any or all of the intercoms could be triggered to record. When turned on, they'd record into a time-stamped storage device, which would identify the location of the audio transducer and the time the recording was made. For all intents and purposes, the whole ship was bugged. There was a lot I didn't know, and I didn't really know who to ask. For all I could tell, the system had been installed when the ship was built, or at least during one of the authorized maintenance periods. The file names and dates and provenance traces were all correct. They certainly were a lot better looking than what I was planning to do and really did appear to be an intended part of the ship's infrastructure. I wondered if it was just a billy, or if every ship had built-in bugs and only the captain knew about them or something. The chrono display at the bottom of my terminal clicked over to 0530, and I realized I'd been sitting there focused on the system's display for almost five solid stands. I could feel Juliet and Charlotte behind me, and they were being much quieter than normal. I cleared the display, kicked my daily backups, and then stood up as if nothing were wrong, I hoped. 
Anything wrong, sir? Juliet asked. Charlotte was sitting in the spare console looking at her tablet, but apparently not actually reading anything. They were both holding themselves very still. Not that I know of, Miss Jackson, I said. Why? Oh, I don't know, sir, she said, with a drawl that meant I was about to get zinged. You've been sitting at that console without really looking up since about double-aught-thirty. Your coffee's cold and still half full. When Charlotte brought up a fresh cup after her rounds at 0300, she handed one to you and your reply was, and I quote, Thanks, hun. You then put the coffee on the desk there and haven't touched it since. I suspect it's quite cold by now. She paused deliberately before adding, Sar. While Juliet rattled off her little speech, Charlotte looked up as if to see what I would say. I must have been really distracted. My apologies, Miss Dang, I said. I meant no disrespect. Disrespect, sir? She seemed confused. For calling you Hun, I clarified. Oh, not to worry, sir. It's much better than I get called by some others, she said with a grin. You were distracted, she added with an emphasis on were. They both just sat at their station staring at me. What is it? I asked. That's it, sir? Juliet asked. Just, I meant no disrespect. Nothing's wrong with the ship. You're okay? Well, as nearly as I can tell, the ship is fine, I said. I am too. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say. The two of them shared that long-suffering look that I was getting used to seeing between them. Then Juliet said, Well, pardon my saying so, sir, but... In the thirty-odd standard days we've been underway here, and we've been standing watch, I have never seen you not finish a cup of coffee. You have never zoned out so completely that you would have failed to notice Miss Deng strip out of her ship suit, turn it wrong side out, and put it back on. Startled, I turned to Charlotte and looked at her suit. Confused, I turned back to Juliet. Her suit isn't wrong side out, I protested. Juliet grinned. No. But you had to look to make sure, didn't you, sir? Miss Jackson, I think he's busted. I think so, too, Miss Deng. I couldn't help it. I snorted in laughter. Okay, you got me. I was playing in the ship systems, and I got sucked in. Nothing's wrong with the ship. It's for a little project I'm working on for Mel, uh, Miss Manus. They shared that look again, but Mallory clomped up over the ladder, followed closely by Mr. Burnside, and they didn't pursue it. We got the watch changed over without casualty. Burnside made no reference to the incident with the Bumble Brothers, and I certainly wasn't going to bring it up. In typical Burnside fashion, he flopped into the console, looking like he'd had about three stands sleep, and smelling of sex. Ship's on course and on target, I told him, standing well back in case he was just trying to lure me into reach. No incidents or actions. Standing orders are unchanged. You may relieve the watch, Mr. Burnside. Yeah, great. See you in six stands he mumbled through a yawn. Charlotte had scooted as soon as Mallory and Burnside came onto the bridge, taking our coffee cups with her. When Juliet had been relieved, I headed down the ladder with her at my heels. When we got to the passageway, I headed for my stateroom for a quick face wash before breakfast, and Juliet headed down to the mess deck. Crew's mess would start serving soon. As we split to go our separate ways, she said, Keep practicing, sir. I nodded and went to my stateroom. It was barely 0600, and I felt sticky and sweaty. Spending the whole watch with my head in the console like that, I was probably dehydrated, and I felt simultaneously wrung out and wired up. I tapped on the door to the head and heard Arletta say, Occupied. I told her, Okay, no rush, and sat down to try to figure out how to tell Arletta what I'd found. 
I couldn't speak until I could figure out who, if anybody, was listening. I couldn't send her a message on her tablet unless we could encrypt it. It occurred to me that I might be able to write on my tablet as long as I didn't save it or send it. It would be safe. Of course, that had always been true. Only an idiot thought that their tablet messages were secure from the company. I guess I felt a bit of an idiot thinking that the ship wasn't wired for sound as well. I idly wondered if it were wired for video, as I heard the shower start up in the head. That disturbed me until I realized that it took a huge amount of storage and I had a very accurate picture of how much storage was aboard and how much of it was used by ship's operations. I made a mental note to look at the systems, though, when I went back on watch. The problem, of course, that it might not be in the ship's schematics and the required storage may not be in the ship's data array. The shower cut off and after a couple of ticks I heard a soft tap on the door to the head. I released the handle and smiled at Arletta. Good morning, she said. How was watch? Hey, I greeted her. It was a mid-watch. What can I say? I took my tablet out and slipped the stylus out of its slot. I brought up the drawing tools and wrote a sentence. I didn't have any problems this morning when Bernsey relieved me. I held up the tablet so she could read it. The whole ship is wired for audio, it said. Her eyes widened as surprise, and she pointed to the deck and mouthed the word, Here? without making any noise. I nodded broadly. He left me a little mess to clean up, she said, but I think he had a hot day because he was out of there like a shot. I erased the tablet and wrote, Next watch I'll know more. Would have been nice if he'd showered before he came up on watch, I said. She nodded and shrugged. Yeah, well, I'm starved. You want a shower before we head over there? I was going to, I told her, but I think I'll just do a quick splash and then we can go get something to eat. She backed out of the doorway and I walked into the head. There wasn't much to say, but I ran the water in the sink and washed my face off. It felt good, like peeling a layer of grime from my skin. The coolness of it refreshed me, and my eyes stopped burning, mostly. It struck me then. The intercoms were in the staterooms. I scanned the bulkheads in the head and realized there was no place to put one there. You know, I think I'll take a shower after all, I said, but motioned her to step into the head. I pulled the door to my stateroom closed and turned on the shower. Arletta looked at me curiously, but pulled the door to her room closed, too, and we stood practically nose-to-nose in the small room, with the shower running. Being that close to her was a bit distracting, but it gave me a chance to whisper in her ear. Any intercom on the ship can be triggered from some system utility that I haven't found yet. The audio gets recorded. I don't know if anybody is listening or if I'm just being paranoid, but it's there. She leaned into me to whisper back. You're obviously sure... You have any idea what to do about it? Yes, but I need to get some sleep and get back onto the bridge for the afternoon watch to do it, I said. This is the strangest thing yet, she whispered. It may be nothing, I told her. The installation looks like it was original to the ship. It's possible that nobody knows it's there. Okay, she said, and she shocked me by giving me a very nice hug. Thanks for letting me know. I nodded, and she slipped out of the head and into her room, closing the door carefully behind her. When she was gone, I shut off the water, waited a couple of ticks, and then went out into my own stateroom, and after a few ticks, out into the passageway beyond. I stopped at Arletta's door and tapped. Come on, slowpoke, I'm hungry. Chapter 32 Diurnia System 2358, August 11th Breakfast was a bit strained. I was conscious of the transducer on the bulkhead and wary of the potential listeners. Mostly it was quiet anyway. Mel seemed distracted by something. 
I think Arletta was having the same kind of paranoid reaction to the bugging as I was. Freddy was the only one who seemed to be having a normal morning, but Freddy was never a morning person. Even Penny Davies was looking a little the worse for wear. Poor kid looked like she hadn't slept in a week. She gave me a wan smile and made sure my coffee cup was full. About halfway through breakfast, I found myself caught by the yawns. I finished my eggs and excused myself. I think I should lay down, I said, longer mid-watch than I thought. They all smiled sympathetically, and I half stumbled back to my stateroom. I passed Ed Simon on my way into officer country and nodded good morning as we passed. When I got to my stateroom, I stripped down to boxers and T-shirt and fell into my bunk. I didn't bother to get in. I just pulled the coverlet around me and rolled into it like a rug. The last thing I remember thinking was that I must have burned a lot of energy to be crashing so hard. When I relieved Burnside at 11.45, it looked like he'd barely moved. He hadn't even bothered to leave a mess to clean up. I wondered if he'd slept through the whole watch. Mallory was, as ever, blandly non-communicative, but Juliet relieved him smartly enough. "'You may relieve the watch. Nothing happened,' Burnside said. "'It never does.' He stood from the console and stumbled off the bridge almost before I had a chance to say, I have the watch. Mallory followed him down the ladder. Juliet looked at me with a little shrug and said, You look a little more lively than the last time I saw you, sir. Feeling a little better? Yes, thank you, Miss Jackson. I managed a small smile. I got a nap and a shower in. I'm feeling almost human again. I checked the logs and the standing orders and discovered that we needed to do a minor course correction to line up for the jump point for the next day. She and I proceeded to get that laid in and had it locked down before Miss Kramer brought my lunch. I made myself take a slow and deliberate approach to everything to keep from drawing attention to my absolute screaming need to get into that audio system again and find out who, if anybody, was listening. Charlotte came to relieve Juliet for lunch, and she started the sweep down while I finished eating. I helped clean up so the bridge was shipshaped by the time Juliet made it back from the mess deck. The two of them settled down to watch and study and I fired up the systems console. My first concern was who was listening and how would I know. I wasted a full stand looking for the utilities that would enable the listening capabilities, and I never found anything. I made it a point to stand up, walk around the bridge, and drink some coffee. Charlotte went on her afternoon rounds, and Juliet looked at me as if to say, You're not fooling me. I grinned at her and sat back down. When you're dealing with complex systems, especially really large complex systems, forget the forest and trees thing. Sometimes you get lost in the undergrowth. That's where I was. I'd been so derailed by finding the software tap already in place that I forgot that I'd gone there to put my own in. I'd traced through to the recording logs, and apparently that was when my brain took a holiday. The logs kept track of date, time, and transducer number along with the audio. I'd seen that. I even wondered how I could use the information. I wanted to bang my head on the screen, but I was relatively sure that Miss Jackson might notice that kind of behavior. I was so hung up on who, I'd completely lost track of what. I just sighed at my own stupidity and opened the log to see when the last entry was. When I saw it, I just sat back in my chair. I didn't know whether I could even believe it. It was dated 2358 July 06, at 14.53. It lasted only two seconds. I looked back a bit further and realized that what I was looking at was a record of the engineering check inspection from the docking at Diurnia Orbital. There were three records on that date. Taken in correct sequence, I could see the timestamps that were the routine checks. Bridge called Engineering Central, 
Central replied. Bridge acknowledged. I didn't even need to hear them, but I plugged in a headset just to confirm it. While I listened, I extended the log window and found that the logs only contained routine maintenance tests. I set up a query to look for other incidences of the log structure someplace in the system. If somebody were clandestinely monitoring the ship, there was a good possibility they'd not store that data in the main storage. While that was running, I wrote a little routine that would periodically poll every intercom in the ship to see if it were listening. It might not tell me why or who, but it would at least tell me if and when. I set my routine to running in the background of the main systems array and routed the output to my tablet. I tested it by crossing to the bulkhead and pressing the talk button on the intercom. My tablet popped open a window with a message indicating that the bridge transducer was active. I let go of the button, and the message went off. I knew Juliet and Charlotte were watching me, so I crossed to the watchstander's console and checked the logs. I was careful not to look at either one of them. In theory, my tablet would tell me when the intercoms were being monitored, so the first beachhead was established. The next order of business was to find out if anybody else was monitoring the ship. Frankly, I suspected Mr. Burnside, but anybody with access to the interface could be doing it, and I still hadn't found that interface program. My systems console gave a soft bip and a window popped open. I crossed over to read, File Not Found. I stood there staring at it. I tried to imagine how anybody could be using the system without routing through the logs and I finally came to the conclusion that it was possible that somebody might route the intercom's transducer directly to a tablet without passing the data through the logs. It would require a lot of specialized knowledge about the data stream in order to strip out the time track. In theory, an instance of the audio log files could be on a tablet, and if that were the case, I might never find it. There were just too many variables. I flopped back into the system console's chair and started bringing up all the information I could find about the intercom system and interface. I tracked back through all the console code and into the archive. I almost laughed out loud when I dropped all the way back to the installation record, and there, in an associated file, was a promotional broadside describing the features of this particular model of intercom. There, bulleted out for the world to see was... Security mode allows for remote triggering and logging of incoming audio during emergency response and damage control operations. So you finally found what you were looking for, Sar? Juliet asked. I turned to look at her, but she was carefully studying her helm display. Out of the corner of my eye, Charlotte was industriously studying her tablet. Yes, Miss Jackson, thank you, I have, I said. I felt a combination of relief and embarrassment wash over me as I realized that I was jumping at shadows. The oh-so-sinister tap on the audio transducers was a public feature of the equipment. Now all I needed to find was how to use it. On a hunch, I went to the installation record and found the software control programming that was installed at the same time as the hardware. The control shell name was listed there, and I checked the file logs to check for the last execution of the code. It didn't surprise me to find a date that corresponded to the equipment installation. Nobody had run that software in 25 stanniers. I wondered if anybody else even knew it was aboard. I stood up from my console and walked to the front of the bridge, staring out into the deep dark to try to gather my wits. The mystery of the pre-installed taps was solved, but I was left with my original problem. 
How do I gather the evidence I might need to protect myself if Aponis and Mosler start to get out of hand again? If, when, it was inevitable. A quick glance at the chrono showed that I had about a stand left to find a solution. In my mind, I ticked them off. One, the brute force approach. Turn them all on and record everything. Two, the subtle approach. Get my tablet to ping its location all the time and record what happens around me. Three, short-term approach. Use my tablet to manually turn on the closest transducer. The first was fast. I could do it instantly. But the data storage requirements would be huge. The second was subtle and right on target, but it would take a while to get the code together. A few watches, at least. The third would work if I grabbed the control shell and ported it to my tablet. Then I could run it from wherever I needed it. It wouldn't be perfect, but it would buy me time. And my tripwire program would tell me if anybody else was using the transducers besides me in the meantime, so I'd know what was going on. By the time Burnside reported for duty, I had it under control. And I'd earned the concerned stares of my watch section. Thanks for listening to Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. The music is a medley of jigs, eavesdroppers, both meat and drink, and Off We Go by Great Big C from their self-titled debut album. Find this and other songs by Great Big C at music.podshow.com. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For a website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com.